0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. And speaking of that website, I just revamped the entire look of the site. So I do invite you to check out the new look for Quipster.net. I've had the same look for that website since 2003. It's a long time coming. That original website looked antiquated even for 2003, but I did it all by myself by hand using HTML. So It was definitely about time that I got on the bandwagon of WordPress and started to use those tools in order to make the site a lot better. And I think if you check out Quipster.net, you will agree. That's Quipster with a W, -W Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R, .net. Today we're going to be looking at another chapter in the MCU, yes, coming off of the heels of the Avengers Infinity War. In fact, this one's actually set before the cataclysmic events that you witnessed in Infinity War. This one is Ant-Man and the Wasp, the second film in the Ant-Man series. Paul Rudd is the main star. Evangeline Lilly, I guess, is co-star now because her character is in the title. Michael Douglas returns. Lawrence Fishburne, Hannah John Kamen, Walton Goggins, Abby Ryder Fortson, Michael Pena, Randall Park, Michelle Pfeiffer, Judy Greer, Bobby Cannavale, T.I. and David Dasmalchian are also in the film. Some of those returning, some of those not. The director is Peyton Reed and the screenplay is credited to Chris McKenna and Eric Summers along with Paul Rudd. Andrew Barrer and Gabriel Ferrari. Now, as I mentioned, this is the second solo Ant-Man adventure. It is set before the cataclysmic events and the climax of the Avengers Infinity War. For those people going into this film thinking that it's going to give you a little bit more clues as to what happened in Infinity War, you're not going to get that here. Scott Lang, the ex-burglar, he's back. He's found serving out the final days of a two-year sentence under house arrest in San Francisco because of his misdeeds that he committed at an airport in Germany in violation of the Sokovia Accords. If you saw Captain America Civil War, you know exactly what was going on there. And then he jumps the gun on his release when he has this detailed vision of Janet Van Dyne, who happens to be the wife of the original Ant-Man, Hank Pym, played here by Michael Douglas. And Janet Van Dyne had been missing, presumed dead within the quantum realm where things exist at a subatomic level. She's been there for 30 years. Scott feels that he's somehow connected with Janet when he was spending time there. And so Hank Pym and his daughter, Hope, reunite with Scott in order to follow the trail back to the quantum realm to rescue Janet. But... Assisting them is tricky because the FBI is closely watching Scott practically daily to be sure that he doesn't literally slip out from under their fingers, and luckily Hope has wings, literally donning her new high-tech suit to transform her into another costume superhero known as the Wasp. Complicating things further, there appears to be a few individuals who are out to try to steal Hank Pym's size-shifting tech, including one who appears and then moves like a ghost, who is in fact called a ghost, in her high-powered suit. And Ava went out of it. And not all of the bad guys in this film end up being bad. Those that do don't really provide enough wattage to merit inclusion when talking about the MCU's most dynamic villains. So I'll leave it up to you as to who's bad and who's not within the course of this movie. Peyton Reed, he's returning here as the director. He took over for Edgar Wright to complete the first Ant-Man and bring it to a financial success. And even garner a number of fans who enjoyed it as a goofy, low-wattage, humorous take in their superhero adventures. This one brings aboard screenwriters of another jokey MCU film in Spider-Man Homecoming, and I'm speaking about Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, who also did work with the Lego Batman movie, if you want to call that a superhero movie as well. Now, if you've read my site or you listen to my podcast on Spider-Man Homecoming, you know that... I don't really consider that film to be one of my favorite MCU films. In fact, it might even be my least favorite MCU film. I know a lot of people love that movie, but I just was not a big fan of it. So it's not exactly a positive in my book to bring them in here. So I was cautiously optimistic still because I did enjoy the original Ant-Man. Now, despite characters that can shrink down to a nearly atomic level here, maybe subatomic if you want to call it that, this is a movie that doesn't go into great details about its backstory and it offers up just enough present conflicts to serve up Action and comedy. The action would certainly be a little bit more exciting if we had a vested interest in these characters and their own backstories. It's kind of a common mantra of mine, but it does stay on the realm of the superficial throughout, so our interest is primarily to observe Ant-Man and the Wasp for its visual flair. And that includes some car chases around the streets of San Francisco, which to me, it reminded me of the remote control car chase in the final Dirty Harry film known as the Deadpool, which itself was also lifted by the video game Grand Theft Auto 3, which I think a lot of people who are seeing it today think it's ripping off, but actually originally appeared in the Deadpool. And Meanwhile, the comedy is pretty jovial, it's very light, as you would expect from how it was in the first movie, and yet you kind of get the sense that it's trying to be a little bit funnier than it ends up really being. It strains to squeeze out a few laughs through a number of callback jokes, in fact, a lot of the humor in this film are really just ongoing recurring gags. There are a lot of pop culture references to songs and other things from the 70s and 80s and 90s. That I guess you kind of come to expect that in this day and age of the humor always really kind of being throwbacks to, oh yeah, I remember that when I was a kid, ha ha ha, right? The film works better as an action movie, though, I think, than as a comedy. So it kind of weakens the material when the makers of the film seem to think that there needs to be more jokes, even if they're often a little bit flimsy in their delivery. The gags here are. A bit weak. I chuckled a couple of times, but not that many. I would say, despite all of my quibbles here, Ant Man and the Wasp is a passable entertainment, but I do think it's probably the most forgettable of the MCU films. It's filled with mildly amusing performances. Somehow, those performances still can't quite generate a lot of substantial laughter. Great actors really adore in this film. You know, you add Lawrence Fishburne here, who seems to be doing some sort of double duty because he's both in the MCU now and the DCEU. And then we have Michelle Pfeiffer, who I guess herself was once in a DC Comics adaptation because she played Catwoman in Batman Returns. We also have the comedic stylings of Randall Park. I actually found some of his dialogue to be pretty amusing. He's in the mix. And while they all deliver fine in their respective roles, they really don't have a lot of screen time. So what they're given to do doesn't really afford them many chances to shine from a performance standpoint. So This is an A-list cast, but it's a cast that really isn't allowed to bring their A-game for the MCU. They're really playing on the level of a network TV family sitcom that has also stunningly realized action sequences. So along those lines, the best thing I will say about Ant-Man and the Wasp is that it does have a professional sheen that we've come to know and expect from an MCU film. It has a very likable cast. They're certainly capable of delivering quality performances, and they do enjoy some good cast chemistry, but but I wish the makers of the film could figure out how to flesh them out a little bit more than they've been so far. Just adding more and more cast is not going to be enough. I think they should spend a little bit more time with the cast that we come to know, at least come to kind of know and want to know more, but they're not really afforded that much time in order to explore. There are some very good size-based visual effects in the film, They bounce back and forth between people and creatures and objects that are in normal size, and then sometimes they're very tiny, sometimes they're very large. Those effects are very good. The film, like its shrunken person counterpart in Inner Space, also capitalizes on a San Francisco setting, not only because we have these cool street chases where you have a normal-sized car and kind of a small car the size of a Hot Wheels car. That actually becomes a gag in the film as well. But it also finds inventive ways to use areas like Fisherman's Wharf or just the bay itself, and it does garner a few gags based on the town's known stereotypes. You know, one of those stereotypes is tied in with Stan Lee's cameo in this film as well. In fact, Stan Lee's cameo, I think that's the only evidence of another character in the MCU if you want to consider Stan Lee as tying in somebody with the rest of the MCU. He is here, although he does appear in other films that are not in the MCU that are done by Marvel, so... I don't know if you can really make that stretch in and of itself. We had the Falcon in the first film, but no such other MCU characters here, at least not that I recall. I guess the litmus test for me to be able to tell you whether I recommend this film to you, I would say that if you enjoyed the first Ant-Man, you're probably going to find enough of the formula that you were entertained by within this follow-up to come away thinking that it's also time well spent. If you found the original Ant-Man too many empty calories, even for a popcorn film, I do think. Ant-Man and the Wasp is also not likely to turn you around on this offshoot, especially as it offers a lot of the same, except for some of the wittier moments from its predecessor, because that original film was originally written by Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish, so it did have a little bit more of their wit there. It's kind of missing here. Now, compared to the two other MCU films that came out in 2018, You know, the supremely entertaining Black Panther, which I was really high on, and it also comes on the heels of the very heavy-hitting events of Infinity War, which is quite an impactful film for the MCU. I think this one seems like it's in the minor leagues when it compares to those relevant chapters worthy of discussion when you're talking about films of the MCU and how they relate to each other. Even going back a little bit further, not quite a year ago, the nearly pure comedy effort in Thor Ragnarok, leaves still more of an impact than Ant-Man and the Wasp, and that one has the added benefit of generating actual guffaws with its humor. So if I want to leave you with some sort of metaphor here, you know that ants are known for being very strong as compared to their body weight. I think they can lift 50 times their body weight, but but still they're almost weightless, and so this bench player in the MCU known as Ant-Man and the Wasp just barely has enough going for it to carry itself to the finish line, much less carry 50 times its weight. It's okay for a momentary diversion, but after watching Ant-Man and the Wasp, you're left with feeling like these are the smallest players in the MCU, both literally and consequentially to the overall universe. So so I'm giving Ant-Man and the Wasp, I'm going to give it a passing grade here. I still enjoyed the film. Three stars out of four. Three stars on my scale means that I do recommend it for those people who like this kind of movie. And I think if you like the first Ant-Man, certainly there's going to be enough here for you to enjoy coming back for more. If you weren't really thrilled with that film, you're probably not going to be thrilled with this one here. So I'll give it a marginal recommendation strictly for those people. Three stars out of four for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Before I go, I do want to mention, as with most other MCU films, there is a scene during the credits and another one after the credits. So if you want to see those, stick around. So anyway, that's Ant-Man and the Wasp. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I do want to mention before I go here today, I also do another podcast called Around the World in 80s Movies. Speaking of Inner Space, I actually, that was one of three films from the 1980s in which somebody gets small. So if you enjoy Ant-Man for making miniature people, I actually reviewed Inner Space, The Incredible Shrinking Woman, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And you can listen to all those episodes. Just search for Around the World in 80s Movies wherever you're listening to this right now and you'll probably find it. Until next time, thanks everyone for listening and I hope that you enjoy your time. Anytime you get to go to the movies and hey, check out Quipster.net and let me know what you think of the new look.